You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled, Take Me to Your Leader, Part 4. Enjoy. Father, we thank you for freedom. We thank you for liberty. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. And we stand firm in your freedom this morning. You have set us free from the bondage of sin. You set us free from darkness, from sickness, from disease, from oppression, from depression. And we thank you that we're strong in you and in your mighty power this morning, that we have become your very temple and you are living your life through us. And we thank you that we are your very own sons and daughters this morning and for the liberty of Christ that leads the way in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. God, you're so good. Isn't he great? He has set us free, completely free from every bondage, every fear, every worry, and every care. And boy, are we glad about it. Hallelujah. We're continuing with our series today, Take Me to Your Leader. Yeah, we're talking about alien life on the third rock from the sun on planet Earth. How sweet is that? Speaking of aliens, does anyone know how an alien holds up his pants? With an asteroid belt. Does anybody know how the man in the moon cuts his hair? Eclipse it. (laughs) Humor's just pegged here at Highway Church. The funny meter's on high today. All right. God is good. So we're talking about alien life on planet Earth. More specifically, we're talking about who you are in Christ and why you're on this planet. The reality is that if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are born of God. And Jesus said in John 17 that we are are no more of this world than he was of this world. Isn't that awesome? It says in John chapter 1 that that our new birth, this birth that the Holy Spirit did in our lives, we put our faith in Jesus Christ, man had nothing to do with it. We're not born of blood nor of human decision or a husband's will, but we're born of God, and we belong to him. We're aliens. This planet is no longer our home. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. This is our verse that tells us who we are and why we're here. It says that you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for God's own possession 
that you may proclaim and show forth and display the excellencies, the goodness of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Wow. So that's who we are. We're this new race of beings in the earth. We're holy. We're righteous. We're redeemed. We have a new nature. We're, we're free from sin. We're strong in him and in his mighty power. His spirit is living in us. And he's our father and we're his kids. And we're on this earth to show forth his excellencies, his goodness in the earth. And how do we do that? How do we show forth the goodness of God in the earth. It's through relationship with him. It's not through man's traditions and philosophies. It's through a relationship with Christ that's built on the promises of God. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 4 says that we experience God through his promises. It's through his precious and magnificent promises that we partake of his nature. So at Highway Church, we build our lives on the promises of God. We major in the promises of God. We're studying them. We're memorizing them. We read about them. We listen to them preach. We focus and fill our minds and hearts with the promises of God. It is the only way to experience His nature. Very important to understand that. There's no mystery about it. It's through his promises. His promises are the expression of his heart to you. It's God saying, this is what I want to do in your life. So we receive those promises and we experience him. It's Jesus saying, I came that you might have life and might have it more abundantly. So we receive that. That's a promise. That's an expression of the heart of God. That's God revealing his intended purpose about you, to you, and for you. And we embrace it. We receive it. And as we do that, the goodness of God, the excellencies of God begin to show up in our lives. Every human being on every continent, in every nation has this inbred hunger and thirst to know God in their hearts without exception. Never has there been a human being born who did not have this hunger and thirst in their hearts to know God. It's a human race thing. It's not a cultural thing. But there's some issues that that are going, there's some, some stuff in the earth that can get in the way of that. One of them is the curse of sin. But Jesus bore the curse. He, he became a curse for us. So through faith in Christ, that's removed. Right? That curse of sin is removed from us. So that's taken out of the way. Satan is in the earth. Jesus called him the ruler of this world. Sometimes I'll say that to Christians. I'll refer to Satan in that way. And they say, why do you call him that? He's not the ruler of this world. Well, yeah, he is. Jesus says so. The prince of the earth, he called him. Paul called him the God of this world. That doesn't mean that, that, he, that he superseded God. It's just he stole the authority that God gave to man. That's right. 
okay? But Jesus took it back and gave it to all those who believe in him, right? But we have to recognize that Satan is in the earth. And what's his game? What's he up to? Well, he's got three priorities to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he wants to do. That's what he's all about. It's important to recognize you can't ignore him. We're not afraid of him, but we're aware of his schemes. Because he will try and implement his schemes in your life. You've got to be aware of how he operates. Those are his top three priorities. Stealing, killing, and destroying. And now how does he go about accomplishing those priorities? Through deception and distortion of the truth. So he tries to deceive people into believing things about God that are not true. And he tries to distort people's image of God. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. The Holy Spirit said it this way through the Apostle Paul. But if our good news, that's what the word gospel means. It's an English word we don't use anymore. But it literally means if our good news be hid... It is hid to them that are lost. If they knew the good news, they wouldn't be lost anymore. Who's hiding the good news? Is God hiding it? Is God keeping himself from people? No. Satan is trying to hide it and cover it with darkness, confusion, different philosophies and religions, right? Why would anyone want to hide the good news? Because he wants to steal from you, kill you, and destroy you. He wants to keep people from being free. He wants to keep people from tasting and seeing how good God is. Hallelujah. Verse 4, in whom the God of this world. This is the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul. In whom the God of this world, that Satan, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. How does a mind become blinded? Well, the primary weapon of Satan are thoughts, reasonings. And he'll shoot them at you like a dart. All of a sudden, a thought will come into your mind. That's contrary to God's heart toward you, to God's promises toward you. And if you believe that promise, uh, darkness begins to set in. For example, in John 10.10, I reference this verse quite regularly because it's a verse that's been largely uh, overlooked and forgotten, but it's the declared purpose of Jesus. He said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. The message says more and better life than you've ever dreamed of. So I can discern in my life what thoughts are from God and what thoughts are from the enemy by John 10.10. Does this thought that's in my mind right now, does it lead me to more and better life? Or is it stealing from me? Is it causing darkness or confusion in me? Yeah. 
If it is, I'm not going to accept it. I reject it. I forbid it to, to stay in my mind. We take captive those thoughts. Every thought, every dark thought, every thought that's even dingy, we take it captive. We don't want dingy thoughts in our minds. We want clean, sparkling, abundant life Jesus thoughts in our mind, right? Lest the light of the glorious good news. See, this is sparkling, bright, set you free good news. This is glorious, the glorious good news of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Who is the image of God should shine unto them. This is the good news, the glorious good news that we want people to hear about. It's the break every chain good news. It's sparkling. It's pure. It's, it's bright. It's life-changing. Hallelujah. So Satan's in the earth, but that's all right because we're in the earth. We're here. God's sons and daughters are in the earth, and we're not ignorant of his schemes. We are those who've eaten the bread of life. We have tasted and we've seen and we know that God is good and his mercy endures forever. We know who we are in him. We know why we're here to show forth his goodness in the earth. And we're conscious of his goodness all throughout the day and night. And we're not overcome by discouraging news. We're not overcome by decisions of government. We're not overcome by immorality. For where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So we're people who are, cannot be discouraged. Because our courage comes from the unchangeable one. Our courage comes from the author of life, from the one who defeated Satan, from the one who became a curse for us, from the one who made us who used to be lost and, and bound and diseased in sin, made us new and righteous and holy and clean and whole. So we're not afraid. We're not discouraged. We know that this God who is our Father is good good and benevolent and generous. Then James 1.5 said he gives to all without reproach. One translation says without finding fault. So there are many believers I've seen uh, over the years who are lamenting the decline of morality in America. You want to know what I lament? I lament the gross damage that has been done to generations and generations of people through religion. One of Satan's greatest weapons. Millions upon millions upon millions, generation after generation, have been given the wrong image of God through religion. And it is a tragedy. Now, yes, I, of course, through false religions and through cults, absolutely. But I'm referring more to Christians, to, to Christian churches, 
where honest, sincere people who wanted to know God found a church in their town or, or in, the, in the yellow pages or online, and they, they came to this church hoping to know God. But instead, what they encountered was people who placed an emphatic emphasis on their tradition, an emphatic emphasis on the law, an emphatic emphasis on their doctrine. And these people didn't know any better. They figured, well, this is a church. They must know God. This must be right. So I will place an emphatic emphasis on this tradition, and I will go through their system. And these sincere people, many of them uh, who stayed, they were told that if, if you go through our system, if you go through our sacraments and do the things in the, week, the way that we tell you to do them, you'll be closer to God. And some of them bought it and they went in and they, they plugged in and they did the things they were told to do and they're still there this day steeped in these traditions and doctrines. But, but they don't know him. They, can't re they don't realize how good God is. And then there are those who just couldn't handle it. They realize this burden is too heavy for me to carry, and they left the church. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, says this. Talking about God. God has made us able ministers of the New Testament or of the New Covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit gives life. So many people have come into a, into a church and experienced the letter. You must do this and this and this and this, just like we tell you, or you're not pleasing to God. That's the letter. We've been not, we're not ministers of the letter. We're ministers of the Spirit. It's the Spirit gives life. The man's list of do's and don'ts brings bondage and death. See, man can't understand that. Man thinks if I, if I tell people what to do, then they'll just do it. Well, they might, but they'll never get free. See, the law can't produce freedom. The power of sin is the law. We, man needs a brand new heart. Man needs a brand new nature, and the law can't give him that. Only Christ can. It's faith in Christ that changes us and gives us a new nature. So many people have been told you've got to get your life right before you come to God. You've got to atone for your mistakes by going through our system. And you'd be amazed at the things that, that Christians have fought about and divided over. We're just talking, we're family, right? We're thankful for the body of Christ. Thank you, God, for every believer on planet Earth. But we've got to take a step back from our traditions and look at what's really going on. What effect are we really having? For example, there, there, are, there are Christians who've separated over water baptism. Those who said, you've got to be baptized in water or you're not saved, even though the Scriptures don't teach that. Or you've got to be put into water in a certain way or it doesn't count. You've got to go up to your chin. No, you've got to go over your head. 
or you've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus. No, you've got to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. You've got to be baptized on the Sabbath. When is the Sabbath? There are many believers who thought the Sabbath was Sunday. And then a group of believers many years ago realized, wait a minute, the Sabbath is Saturday. So they separated. Said, we're going to celebrate the true Sabbath is Saturday. They, they're, they're, they've argued over music. There are some churches that said you can't have any instruments in church but a piano or an organ. These are real things that have taken place in the body of Christ in America. And, you know, I, I like to read about different people's life stories, and, and I've been amazed uh, over the years, the people who are, who are living a life of, uh, of bondage or in sin or, 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 or doing things, don't even realize that what they're doing is bringing glory to the devil instead of to God. At one point, they were in a church. Even leaders who started cults at one point were in a church, a Christian church. What happened? They weren't led into relationship with Christ. They were led into the traditions and doctrines of man. And it's a dead end that will set no one free every time. And it's important that we recognize this. Jesus was very bold and firm and upfront about this. Matthew chapter 23, verse 15. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Who are the scribes? The experts in the law, the lawyers, the doctors of law. Who are the Pharisees, the seminary graduates? He said, woe to you, experts in the law and seminary graduates, hypocrites. That's, there's nothing complimentary about what he's saying, is there? He, I'd say he's upset, wouldn't you? For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte. And when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Ouch. This is Jesus talking. Who's he talking to? The religious people. Who did Jesus have the issues with? Who opposed Jesus? Not the sinners, not the prostitutes, not the tax collectors, the religious people. We got to talk about this because a day is coming, and I believe is here yeah. in America when the bonds of religion are broken and people are being set free and coming into the glorious liberty of Jesus Christ. I've seen it. I've just been in Christ a little over a quarter of a century, and I've seen these walls start to come down, these walls of tradition. Where you go into church today, you're not really sure. I don't know what kind of church is this. You know, is it this denomination? Is it, it's not so important as it used to be. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. So Jesus is talking to these religious people who regularly opposed him. Now, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, the Holy Spirit, again through Paul, says that our struggle is not against religious people. Our struggle, our battle is not against religion. But we're in a warfare against spirits of wickedness and darkness in the heavenly realms. And religious spirits are some of the nastiest, 
cold-hearted spirits you will ever confront. I am never uh, cease to be amazed by the religious, the darkness of religious spirits. Let's look at this in the life of Jesus, all right? I mean, we don't want one of these spirits coming in here. I don't want one of these spirits operating in your life because it will separate and divide and lead you on a path that does not uh, set you free or anyone else but brings bondage. So let's look at Jesus. This is God in the flesh, in the earth, ministering life. Mark chapter 2. This is why we're in the earth. We've got the same mission Jesus had, right? So we're bold against religion. We're not trying to, to start any fights. We're not, we love people, but we call darkness for what it is. And, and, and this is not popular sometimes. Jesus, was, there are mobs that wanted him dead because he called darkness, darkness. He called those who were in religion, who were following these, who were being influenced by religious spirits, he called them sons of hell. He called them vipers. Whoo! He's strong, isn't he? I love my Jesus. He, he, he knows what's right. He knows where light is. He knows what's dark. He knows what's light. He knows what's right, and he knows what's wrong. Mark chapter 2, verse 14. Jesus is talking. As God in the flesh passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. That's Matthew. Now understand, tax collectors were, were despised by the nation of Israel because they took advantage of them. So he sees this man who's, who's a sinner and despised by the nation of Israel, God in the flesh, and he says to him, shame on you, you loser. What does he say to him? He gives him an invitation to come close. Wow, is that the opposite of the religion. Come here. Follow me. So Levi, he, he gets up and he follows God in the flesh. Now it happened as God in the flesh was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors, oh, it's getting worse, and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. Woo-wee! For there were many. And they followed him. Why are, why are there many sinners and many tax collectors following Jesus? Because he's the author of life. See, religion carries with it this, this arrogance that sinners don't want to be around. And boy, I, you know, I, I, I've seen publications online and in print and, and the, certain churches are lamenting that, that generations are walking away and leaving their church. And instead of saying, wait a minute, what are we doing wrong? They criticize those who are leaving. And they fail to see that the reason they're leaving is because they're preaching the letter instead of the spirit. I don't blame them for leaving. I'd leave too. I need life. I don't need religion. I need freedom. I need health, I need wholeness, I need wisdom, I need strength. I don't need man's ideas and man's religious tradition. I need life. So this is Jesus. 
So there's a bunch of sinners around him. He's in a sinner's house having dinner. God in the flesh. And when the scribes, here they, here they come, the scribes, the doctors of the law, the, the, the seminary graduates saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners. They had a fit, right? They said to his disciples, how is it that God in the flesh eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? What are they doing? Questioning the integrity of God. Questioning the, the, the wisdom and judgment of God. When Jesus, God in the flesh, heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus was on a mission, and the doctors of the law, not all of them, there were some who believed, and the, the certain seminary graduates, because of their tradition, they were blind to the mission of God. So as a result, they didn't, hang, they didn't spend any time with sinners. They spent time in the temple with, you know, talking to each other about how holy they were, right? Encouraging each other. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I did seven of those yesterday. You did seven. I did eight. You did eight. I'll do nine tomorrow. And all the time, there are sinners outside the temple who were sick and lost and confused. And they're inside the temple talking about their doctrine. And Jesus was on a mission, but they were blind to it. He was saving and healing and delivering. Then we keep reading uh, in verses 18 and 20. Now the disciples of John the Baptist get in on it. And some more Pharisees. And they're saying, why don't your disciples fast? Come on, why don't they do the things we do? Look what Jesus says in verse 21. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. What, why is he going into this sewing lesson now? <laughs> or else the new piece pulls away from the old, and the tear is made worse. He's contrasting the new with the old. Verse 22, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine bursts the wineskins. The wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined, but new wine must be put into new wineskins. What is he talking about? I am implementing a new covenant in the earth that is not based on the law. It's based on faith. Faith in me. And you will be a miserable Christian if you try and live your life serving God under the law instead of faith. That's like putting new wine into old wineskins. Something is going to burst in your life sooner or later. This is a new covenant. We're full of new wine. It's the wine of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will not be confined to the borders and walls and cells of man's tradition. It's new wine. It's new wine. Verse 23, God in the flesh. Now it happened that, that God in the flesh went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. Those bad, bad, bad Men, they're hungry, they're walking through grain fields and they start eating grain. What are they thinking? 
And the seminary graduate said to God in the flesh, look, right? They're questioning God's vision. He doesn't see. You need to see something. You're not seeing God. Why do they do what is not what? Lawful. What are they about? The law. The law. The letter. The law. On the Sabbath. Hmm. Jesus said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those with him? How he went into the house of God, the temple of God, which only the priests were permitted to go in. It was not lawful for him to go in, but he went in anyway because he was hungry. And and, uh, in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful, to eat, except for the priest. David was not a priest. He was a king. And also gave some to those who were with him. Keep in mind, David is the one that God chose personally out of all his brethren to be the king of the, of the nation of Israel, that the line of the Messiah would come through him. Keep in mind that, that David rescued Israel from, from Goliath and performed amazing supernatural feats of strength. Keep in mind that God's testimony of David is that he was a man after his own heart. How could a man who is not allowed by law walk into the temple and eat the bread that only the priests could eat. Relationship. He had a relationship with God who lived and dwelt in that temple. And he cultivated that relationship as a young boy when he was watching his father's sheep. See, relationship will take you where religion says you're not allowed to go. Reminds me of the Syrophoenician woman in Matthew 15. She was shunned by God's people because she had no covenant with God. She had no basis, according to the law, to come to God. But she came anyway because she knew he was good. And she came to God in the flesh and asked God in the flesh to heal her daughter. And I love what God in the flesh said to her. He said, woman, great is your faith. In the Greek, it says mega is your faith. Woman, you have great, mega, big, large, loud faith. What gives you mega, big, large, loud faith and enables you to go where religion says you can't go? Relationship with the one who made you. When you're in relationship with God, when you're in relationship with the one who made you, mega faith grows inside of you. Big, loud, obnoxious, step on devils, faith grows in you because you're in relationship with the one who made you. Hallelujah. Verse 27, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, whoa, and not man for the Sabbath. Remember, they're criticizing the disciples because they're eating grain on the Sabbath. See, they exalted this day above man. It was the day that was important to them, not man. These people are hungry, but we don't want you to eat because this day's important. How backwards is that? 
That's what religion does. It, 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 it's backwards. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. God didn't make the Sabbath so we could reverence some special day. God made man in his image to be in relationship with him. And he said, if you'll just trust me, you can do infinitely more in six days and resting one day than you could ever do working 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the rest of your life. It's, built, it's a relationship. The Sabbath was meant to cultivate faith, not religion. Cultivate a trust in God, just like we bring to God 10% of our finances. That's a, that's a faith thing. It's a relationship thing. It's not a law thing. Just like we got, bring to God our offerings. Just like we come here on Sunday mornings. We come together to get together during the week. It's a faith thing. See? Colossians 2, verses 16 and 17, speaking of the Sabbath, says, So let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding a festival, or a new moon, or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. So this is what religion does. See, religion and the law focuses on your external behavior. Do, do, do. What do you do? What are you doing? Do you see what you're doing? You need to do this. You shouldn't be doing that. But God is different. He focuses on your heart. He focuses on your nature. And it's, it's the nature, it's the heart that's the wellspring of life. And religion and law can't give you new life. They can't give you a new heart. They can give you a headache, but they can't give you a new heart. Only faith in Christ can do that. One more scripture. Still in Mark, let's keep reading chapter 3. Verse 1. And God in the flesh entered the synagogue again. And a man was there who had a withered hand. Now, why did he notice that? Because he wants to heal him. God's a healer. He notices when someone is not well, and it's his heart right away to heal. So they watched him. Who's they? Doctors of the law, religious folks, right? Watched him closely. <laughs> religious people watch you closely. They'll, they'll, they'll look in your window at night. That's how closely they'll watch you. They want to make sure you're dotting your I's and crossing your T's. So they watched him closely. Whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, wouldn't that be awful? So that they might accuse him. That's why religious people watch you closely, so they can accuse you when you, when you don't do what they think is right. <sighs> and he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, that's the religious people, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do, do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. Why? They're, they're, they're like, they, they, religion can't heal. And when he had looked around at them with anger, this is God, being grieved. He didn't hate them. He was grieved by their hard hearts, grieved by the hardness of their hearts. God in the flesh said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees celebrated and rejoiced. Nope, 
Then the religious people went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. So who's influencing them? These religious people. What was Satan's top three priorities? To steal, kill, and destroy. What are they plotting? To destroy. So who's influencing them? Do you see that? They're in the presence of God. God is setting people free, and they're being influenced by spirits of darkness. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Do you see how anti-God religion is? I mean, we just looked at a few examples here in the ministry of Jesus. But it's anti-God, and they don't even realize it. Thank you, Father, for a new life in you. So we're here in 2015 in this area of the world as a testimony, as ambassadors, as epistles, as living witnesses to correct the wrong image of God that people have been given through man's traditions. So come on in, people. Come in and experience the living God, the one who loves you and will make you whole. We're out of time. Father, we thank you for this time in your presence. We thank you for shining the light on on the dark things of this world, for for setting us free from the, the, the lawful, religious bondage of the letter and bringing us in to the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. We thank you that we're free this morning and that you are our Father and that we are living our lives in sweet fellowship with you. And we say, Father, use us for your glory to set people free. That when they meet us and talk with us this week, they will realize their eyes will be opened that you are good and your mercy endures forever. In Jesus' name. Amen. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life He came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.